law enforcement and police were still we're both pushing rock up a hill. Yeah. And when we're gone, there's another guy pushing that same rock. And the rock's going to fall down sometimes. We're going to push it up the same hill. And it's not futile. It's important what you're doing. But you got to take care of yourself. Yeah, I mean, you, you feel that burden um, of everything. And then uh, the, the, har- the higher you go, you know, the harder it is sometimes to, to uh, push that rock because it just accumulates. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cato Podcast. This is a special episode, so please listen closely. When I first started in law enforcement, an old friend told me that I would leave this profession with some scars. I thought he meant the bumps and bruises and minor injuries associated with the job, but now I know he meant something much more dangerous. This thing that we still don't like to talk about, PTSD, and the effects serving as a first responder or in the military can have on our mental and physical well-being. I've asked Alex West to co-host this episode with me. Alex has multiple tours in a variety of hotspots around the world and truly has served and led some of the greatest folks our country has to offer. He's dedicated his post-military life to helping veterans. Cato members may remember him as our keynote speaker at the 2019 Cato Conference in San Diego. He was also our guest on our third podcast episode ever. Alex is truly committed to the Cato community and joins us today to help veterans and first responders survive the effects of PTSD during and after their careers. Our guest today is Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, a world-renowned psychiatrist, author, researcher, and educator. He's been researching post-traumatic stress, its effects on the body, and how a variety of modalities can reduce those impacts since the 1970s. He's literally one of the pioneers that defined what PTSD actually is and how it affects our bodies. He's the author of The Body Keeps the Score, which is currently on the New York Times bestseller list for over 140 weeks. Alex recommended this book to me, and I can honestly say it has changed my life. It's helped me understand things my friends have experienced and helped me decipher some of my lingering issues. The doctor has dedicated his entire life to this research and the real science of how trauma affects our bodies and what you and I can do about it today. Our goal here, sir, just before we get official, is to uh, raise awareness of your book and to promote with our both our, our tribe, so to speak, that there's a lot more options than you might know about to get help, that it's not as straightforward as you may think. It's not just right. a pill or one modality. And then right. you know, a couple of things I got out of your book that I think our, both of our tribes don't get yet is we think of these extreme things as you know, these extreme traumatic events is causing PTSD when in reality, um, sometimes it's cumulative. And uh, what I see in my work is guys getting hijacked uh, cognitively and they just, they, they lose their joy and they lose their ability. Oh, huge. To laugh. And they lose. The other thing with policemen, of course, is that, you know, it's always stressful. And at some point your brain gets set to be very good when there's an emergency and your brain lets you down when there's no emergency. So the only place you can feel alive is if bad shit is happening. Yes. Uh, yes. And when you're just playing with your kids, you don't feel anything. Huh? Yes, uh, absolutely. Yeah. It's huge. Yes. And I, so, I, so the question is how you can reset yourself so you can actually pay attention to the small details of life and take pleasure in it and not just live for that high adrenaline type excitement and horror of your job 
I may have got that speech from my wife this weekend, sir. So uh, it's a very real, it's a very real thing. She didn't say it as nicely as I said it. <laughs> no, she, she did not. She did not. But yeah, so, so if you could, can you talk a little bit about your book? And that, that's really your life's work. And it was pretty impressive for a layman like me to read it, yeah. to understand it, and, and just really identify with the symptoms. And I'm going to tell you as a police officer, I recognize uh, a lot of the populations that have a lot of trauma, but even in your book, I had to take little breaks because oh, it, yeah. was, it was overwhelming to right. me, the amount of people that have been victimized. And, and that's in a job where I work for those people. Like I, I signed up to help those people any right. way I can. So yeah. I can't imagine um, the perspective that you have. Well, I'm always astonished that anybody finishes this book. <laughs> you know, it's a very hard job, you know, and to keep plunging along and to look at all the complexity is is quite quite challenging. And I'm actually impressed with how many people have read it cover to cover. And I read it, I wrote it for you. You know, I didn't write it for that you have to go to medical school in order before you can understand it. So I was hoping that cops and robbers would understand it too, you know. <laughs> Yeah, you know, uh, Doctor, the uh, I actually, you know, I did a bunch of combat deployments, and I was struggling. And it was your book, actually. I started reading it uh, at the advice of a friend, and due to that, I actually was able to identify a lot of my own issues and also, um, you know, get seek help. And um, and as you mentioned, you know, there's not just one a one stop shop or a magic pill or whatever. It's like a, a whole, like almost perhaps a lifetime of just trying to you know, get these different um, therapeutic modalities together right. and what might work. So I'd like to just personally thank you for what, what you uh, have done for the veteran community and uh, law enforcement. Of course, it's great to hear that, you know, it is really wonderful. Uh, you know, but maybe you read a book by Carl Morlantis. This oh, yeah. guy was in Oxford and goes to war, wrote this amazing book, What's Like to Go to War. And it really illustrates it's a journey, it's a struggle. And it's not like, oh, you take that pill, you do that modality and everything's going to be fine. You know, it's a confrontation with yourself and who you are, a confrontation with who yourself and what you've done and the things that you may not feel proud of or the things you have done that you do feel proud of, but you cannot tell people about it because it's pretty horrific. It's all that stuff that builds up inside of you. And so, um, so a core issue that I'm trying to talk about is that Trauma is not about an event, because that event actually is over. And that event may come back in your dreams, in your nightmares, etc. But the real issue with trauma is that it resets who you are and resets what your brain pays attention to. And you see this, I see it in, in combat soldiers, I see it in war journalists, how that you get very good at, at that very stressful job, but your brain no longer can function like taking your kids up from school yes. or mowing your lawn, all that ordinary stuff. Your brain can't do that anymore. And so resetting your brain is terribly important. And you don't do that with drugs and you don't do it with talking about the horrible things you saw on your job or you saw in this car accident or this guy who shot at you. It's really going inside and to find a way of helping yourself to be fully alive right now so, yes. so some sort of uh, some sort of thing having to do with meditation or being still or doing yoga or doing martial arts i think martial arts are particularly good for people with combat and 
military experience uh, is because it helps your body to engage. But when you do martial arts, you really feel alive in the presence. Huh? Yes. And not getting hurt. It's not about trauma. It's about you're feeling your body and you're feeling the power in your body. Uh, you know, one thing when uh, you mentioned with Carl Marlantis, what it's like to go to war, what I thought was really interesting, and I can't help to think of what your book points out, was he after he got out of the Marine Corps, he went about 20 years as a, a professional, as a, a businessman, very successful. However, yeah. it, his body kept the score, right? Yeah. So it didn't go away. So, and I think that's really important for a lot of the listeners to know that even if you get out of law enforcement, if you don't deal or you don't try to, you know, identify and, and heal, that at some point, whether it's a year, 10 years, 20 years, like in Marlantis's case, it, it's going to come back. So you don't really have a, a choice. <laughs> in my opinion, you right. should be seeking out that help. Right. And, and then the question, where do you go for help? And oftentimes the help makes things worse. Huh? So, so the discovery of what's helpful for me is terribly important. But it's also, to my mind, very important is exactly what you do. Is you talk to other people who are where you're at. I think we don't talk nearly enough about relying on other people who have had your experiences to help to share with each other what has been helpful to you and what hasn't been helpful. And to me, most treatment modalities are way too individual. Mm -hmm. So like I can treat somebody who has been to Afghanistan, but I wasn't in Afghanistan. You know, I can hear the dramatic stories, but the stories I don't hear about the days or weeks that you didn't do anything and you were just in the horrible hostile environments. Maybe you didn't get along with your bunkmates either. I don't know that experience, but everybody who has been there has that experience. And so I think the, a very critical part of recovery is to really share stuff with other people who have gone through what you have gone through. And to really borrow from each other and learn from each other and say, you know, I found this particular guy who really gets it, or I found this particular experience, like as people discover equine therapy, for example, mm -hmm. working with horses, very clearly, very helpful. The VA won't tell you about it, but one of you will tell you about horses. You know, it's interesting. I was at the White House, White House a few years ago, and I met with Trump's uh, military uh, veterans advisor. And he said, I had terrible PTSD and I'm, I got over it. He said, how did you do it? I did outward bound programs. I did equine therapy. I did martial arts. I said, take your experience and as the president's advisor, put that program into place. He said, that would be politically too difficult. Right. And wow. so he even uses his own experience to help other people. But what's so important is that like in 12 step programs, we should use our own experience to help other people. Right. What does the military do? They take a bunch of people who oftentimes have pretty difficult backgrounds. And they're not the most best organized kids who come to boot camp. And they know how to, to mold those people into very efficient people who like each other, by and large, and who get along with each other because they do exercises that make them into good warriors. And now the big question is, what sort of exercises do we need to do in order to stop being warriors and to be good parents, good fathers, yeah. and yeah. good husbands? Huh? Yeah, Alex, Alex and I have yeah. laughed at each other's uh, professions because Alex will spend a month getting ready to go and come back and spend a couple of weeks before he goes home and cops go and 
do a SWAT hit and then they go to soccer practice. And it's yeah. always like a foreign thing for us to learn from each other's tribes about how it's so different. But the, the problem is the same. When you come home, what did yeah. you do to prepare for that transition? Right. And uh, historically, it's nothing. Yeah, nothing. And of course, when you're a cop, you know, I don't really know the cop culture, but I have some impression about it, is that becomes your life. And so the other people have gone through it with you, understand it. And that's the people you feel safe with, but you don't feel safe with the other people. And also it's a culture where you're tough. Now you don't really talk about the downsides of it. So you need to also find a way of talking about what is unbearable and what's difficult. And you need to somehow find a way of opening yourself up to your own vulnerability, which of course is the last thing you want to do when you're a cop or a soldier. Huh? Right, so you, you do it when you're broken enough and you can't do anything else right right and then it's almost too late you know yeah. you need to have fallen apart before you get the help that you need and you need to make sure that it doesn't go that far right and there, uh, and there's such a bad stigma both i think the military and law enforcement that if if you are struggling that you shouldn't reach out or that you're weak and I just want to make sure that, you know, listeners know that, you know, that's, that's not the case. You know, I mean, do you, if you want to be your best, <laughs> your best cop, your best dad, you know, no better time than now to reach out for help. But, you know, what I would say is that uh, the most helpful first step would be have to have organizations of former cops who have gone through it and say, call us while uh, you're still on active duty, you know, We've gone through it. Let's talk about what you're going through. But I would go to a fellow cop who's gone through the experience themselves before I would go to a social worker who is never, who doesn't know the, the military world, the cop world. No, I love that. You know, recently I belonged to a, a VA a men's PTSD group, and there's a bunch of Vietnam veterans. And when the fall of Afghanistan happened, I'm, I did eight tours to Afghanistan. When it happened, I, along with my whole group of friends, were struggling. Um, you know, so you know, it happened so fast. And immediately I started getting texts and phone calls from all the Vietnam vets, just like reaching out to see how I was doing. And I, I couldn't tell you how impactful that was that those guys did that for me. And uh, it was just amazing. But to your point, doctor, like that is, I agree with you that if there was something similar that could be with law enforcement, that could really help. Um, especially when guys are struggling. Yeah. Yeah. And, and before it is too late to become, make it acceptable and okay that, oh, we have this guy, O'Brien, over there. He was in the LAPD for a long time. Let's go talk to him. He know, and he, he has a group for people who, who are trying to keep functioning and talk about what's been helpful for them. Yeah. yeah. So, Doc, one of the main themes in your book talks about the, the different modalities and how there's not one direct path. And you kind of, and, and the one that works today may not work for me next year. And because, because yeah. I'm a complex, person and my body is and you know how that works yep. so uh, a couple of things i got that maybe you could just touch on briefly um for our listeners is uh you, you talked about uh animals and a queen therapy or and you talked about um you, you talked about several other things that i'd never heard of like the mm. example you gave with the theater and the vets in the in, in theater. And yeah. could you touch on a couple of those ones that might not be as popular because very much so, and I'm in California, we have pretty good education, uh, better than I've had before in my career as far as how to help, but we still go back to let's sit in a traditional room and relive right. these moments verbally right. and 
uh, sometimes that's good because it gives us perspective, but there's a lot of other things that, that that's not as good. So the core issue that I'm trying to talk about is that when you get traumatized or exposed to extreme situations, your body reacts to it. And so you get all the adrenaline, you get all hyper, and that's very helpful for you to survive at that particular point. But if you get stuck there, you're chronically agitated, chronically angry, chronically reactive. You need to calm that body down. You don't calm that body down by talking about all the blood and gore and guts that you saw. You help your body to calm down the way, same way that you calm a baby down. You know, I love hanging around for very small kids because small kids, they're very much like us, except they miss that whole big frontal cortex that allows us to rationalize everything we do. But I just spent the summer with my grandkids and they have meltdowns all the time. What do you do with a meltdown, a kid has meltdown? You don't talk to them about the meaning of life or the horrible <laughs> things that they're upset about. You pick them up and you hold them and you rock them and you sing to them and you do something to help that body to feel calm down. And once your body is calm, you're back in the saddle, basically. And that's what you do with kids all the time until they start talking and then we get into this verbal world. But the verbal stuff doesn't solve things. It's very important to be able to tell the truth to yourself and to other people. That's a very important part of therapy. I killed somebody who I shouldn't have killed. I saw my friend, best friend being blown up and I could have prevented it and I didn't. So these things really stick in your mind and you get too ashamed to talk about it. And saying it has happened to me is very important. And I did it, it's very important. And then you come to the issue of uh, how do you have compassion for yourself for having fallen short of your own goals. And then it becomes very important in therapy to actually go and visit yourself back then and to see what a scared, angry, upset little kid you were then when you were 18 years old or last year, you're 34, and know that under the circumstances, I did not know at that point how to do it any better. And to really have a compassion for yourself that, boy, it's awful what I did or what I didn't do, but it's all I knew, I, all I knew at the time. Huh? And so yeah. that issue of finding a way of forgiving yourself for what you have or haven't done becomes terribly important. And that's what you use really good therapy for, huh? because mm. these are very tough things to meet and to, uh, to really put your head, mind and your heart around of how you have let yourself down and from your own ideals, which is always a very big issue with soldiers and, and policemen, of course. Yeah. Uh, but the other thing is that your body gets stuck in being reactive as you did calm that body down. Uh, so uh, I happen to have studied yoga uh, scientifically. Uh, yoga turned out to be very helpful, but that may not be the right thing for you. You know, it's interesting. First time I went to China, uh, so shortly after Mao, it was a very, very tough place. And I, all these Chinese I saw were doing a Qigong and Tai Chi, every part. And I go, what the hell is these people doing? And I joined them in their parks and did made movements to their base. I said, oh, they don't do this for the tourists. They do this because otherwise they would want to kill themselves living in, in Mao's yeah. China. And wow. they do this in order to calm themselves down so they can cope with all that horrible stuff. But you do it by really meeting that body of yours and giving that body of yours the calm that it deserves. Of course, in our culture, 
military and police culture, the way you do that is by drinking alcohol. Yes, <laughs> you're so right. And, yes. You know, yes. And <laughs> since Homer's time or before that, soldiers have always tried to medicate themselves with, with alcohol. And of course, it's yes. very understandable. But, you know, it doesn't really solve the problem, as you may have noticed. <laughs> often, yeah. often makes it much worse. Yeah, yeah it's, it's uh, numbing, not healing. Yeah. It's a numbing. It's, it's a, the same thing as what VA does when it gives you these various drugs. It doesn't solve anything, but you may not feel as horrible as you did before. It doesn't make you feel more alive. It doesn't make you love your wife any better, but it certainly makes you less of a pain in the ass person to be with. Yes. You want to do better than that, you know? <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> That's the goal. Yes, sir. Uh, what in your, in your book, you cover a couple other things that you, that you studied that were, um, there were pretty amazing results and not, I, I don't want to oversell it, but some of them are really in short, Yeah, like that day, that afternoon, that session, <clears throat> like you the, could yeah. see in someone's yeah. body, the tense tension leave. And can you yeah. talk a little bit about some of those? Yeah. So, and, and actually, since I wrote a book, uh, there's another big thing that, that I've been working on. So let me go over it. And the first thing that really uh, I met and did very serious research on is something called EMDR. Okay? And EMDR was extremely helpful for me because it's a weird technique. And you have people imagine the, the horrible stuff, seeing people killed, killing people, all these things. And you ask people not to talk about it, but to feel it and to think about it. And you ask them to move your eyes from side to side. So you put your fingers in front of people say, move your eyes from side to side. And anybody hears about it said, that's crazy. That doesn't make any sense. And you start doing it. And you go like, wow. When you do it, after a little while, people say, yeah, it happens. I remember it happens back in July of 2003. It was awful. But today is... September 2021, and I'm okay now. So you, your brain is able to make a distinction between what happened there and what's happened now. So I got really intrigued, wanted hustled around for money to see what happens to the brain. It took me 15 years to steal enough money from other projects. <laughs> project. And what we see is that these eye movements change circuits in the brain so you can rearrange your perception of the world and you can read this now yeah this happened to me but it happened to me a long time ago this is not a cognitive thing it's not something you figure out it's your, that allows your brain to know it's not happening right now it happened back then and of course trauma is all about feeling that it's happening right now it's a, yeah. you behave the same way today to your kids as you behave to the taliban in Afghanistan, but your kids aren't the Taliban, <laughs> you know. Hey, yeah, yeah. When you treat them like the Taliban, you create a lot of shit in your family. You have some you know? problems. <laughs> yeah. And so, so somehow your your brain needs to be helped to be alive right now. Huh? And so EMDR was the first thing that I uh, studied that did that. Yoga was helpful. Um, neurofeedback, which mm. is barely practiced at the VA barely packs in the military, has some pretty good data for it. It's very helpful. You can play computer games in your own brain. And when your brain goes into a state of hyper arousal and says, okay, they're about to kill me, you go, like your brain gets calmed down and you can sort of feel, oh, actually I'm playing a computer game. So your brain is helped to be here and not there. 
Mm. And then my latest research, which is not in the book, is uh, is psychedelics. So the, yeah. and the, the astonishing results that we are getting with uh, with MDMA in our in our case. Yeah. yeah. I had a sneaking suspicion that that would be your next. Uh your next deal because you do you do refer to it in the book but it is definitely resurfaced in recent years and uh right. alex and i yeah. both have friends yeah. that have that have participated in that kind of therapy and found it most of them found it helpful some some dramatically so like i talked to them before they left they came back yeah. and i know it's the same person but it's yeah. not the same person right i say there's a lot of excitement right now about psychedelics and I'm very I just feel so honored and pleased that I'm part of people do the study uh, and to really be part of discovering another piece of the puzzle but at the same time I'm a little worried that we go with the latest thing and we ignore mm. some very good stuff that works already like neurofeedback and like martial arts and like equine therapy and like EMDR. So, so there are already things that are already legal that can be quite helpful, but the, that the VA does not do. No, I like that explanation because a lot of, at least veterans, you know, they want just whatever's the easiest and the quickest way to do something. So when they think of uh, psychedelics, which I've actually uh, had some psychedelic therapy myself and gotten a lot of, a lot out of it. However, it, a, a slippery slope is thinking that if you just just take the psychedelic, you're good. And as you mentioned, doctor, where you're just getting away from all of these other modalities, whether it's meditation or Qigong or, or yoga, whatever it might be, where it's, it's like, no, it's actually cumulative. And, and, um, you know, not only that, but you know, people talk about psychedelics as if it's fun and games, right? But as you must know, when you take this stuff in a therapeutic setting, the that you have been dealing with comes up yes, um, very alive and it's not it's not easy right uh, it's oftentimes a very painful experience but the psychedelics make it possible for you to not get freaked out by going to places that used to freak you out and now you can tolerate it a little bit more and because you can tolerate it you can look feel like oh that poor person me who had to be exposed to that at that time and thank god it's over but boy it was really awful what i went through and, and yeah. so and that is a very important uh, conclusion to be able to come to mm. on a very deep level. But, you know, in the same way, you don't become an outstanding cop in by taking a pill or in 24 hours or an outstanding soldier. You don't become an outstanding survivor uh, with a pill or uh, mm. nothing is cheap. I mean, it takes as long to get out of it as it gets to get into it, you know? Yes. Yeah, we do. Well, well we do tend to forget that. And, yeah. and thank you for driving that point home because we're busy. We're trying to fulfill all our obligations to our family, to our work. And we're yeah, like, hey, we just it. have a little bit of time and let's yeah, fix this yeah, so I can move on. But you you don't want to feel all that stuff. Right. Uh, no, I agree. I, I agree. To drink. Hey, you have time to go to the bar and drink. We get all the time to do a feedback session. Yeah. Yeah. yeah of course. Well, but. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, but. So that I appreciate it. That's one of the biggest things uh, is, at least in my community and in, in law enforcement, and I know it's the same for Alex's community, is just it, they're dedicated to service. And uh, it's very, it's, it's weird to say this out loud, but it's weird to turn back and focus on yourself. 
And, I think uh, that's a very, you make very important points. And I think most people don't know that, how dedicated cops are. Mm. Huh? A lot of people see them as uh, these tough, scary people, but they are very dedicated to really serving people. And, and, uh, and if you stop doing that by retiring or being put in a desk job, it's a very painful thing because your identity is to be of help to people. Mm. Alex and, and I and, talk about that a lot. <laughs> yeah, and, and, your, and your friends will know that, but the general public may not. Yeah, um, back to your book. This year I learned the first time, it's pretty obvious, uh, cops get a really good retirement. And a lot yeah. of times that comes up with the public because they're upset about that. They don't understand it. And, yeah. uh, and then we show them the data on how long we live after we retire. Mm. And for years, I thought that was because we drink too much and, you know, maybe your whole identity is in your job. And so then you just sit at home and kind of, you know, wait to die because you don't have anything else going on in your life. Um, but I never once considered uh, how many cops die of organ failure and the sure. different cancers. And, uh, and until I started reading your book and and studying that stuff, I realized that what I'm doing now is going to lengthen or shorten my life. And it's not just a car chase or jumping out of an airplane or, Uh or a dangerous bad guy, or it's also my body is keeping that stress inside me. And eventually I will pay that price. Right. Absolutely. And your body is secreting the hormones that actually, allow you to jump out of the airplane and it will also kill you in the long range. And so indeed, how do you reset yourself to just walk through your garden and say, boy, it's a beautiful day. Right. That's a great challenge. I love this interview. I mean, you guys are hitting all the right notes. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Before you go, can you just direct our listeners to where they can learn more about all your work? Because you have multiple things going on. I know you don't have time to do that, but where would they go to learn more about your work? So uh, my organization is called the Trauma Research Foundation. And we very much, uh, our our focus is very much on uh, showing people programs that are somewhat out of the mainstream that we think are very effective. Uh, so we always highlight a lot of different programs and different options that people have. We do conferences. We uh, we have a lot of workshops, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. My own website, bestofendercock.com, also shows where you can go. And of course, my book, The Body Keeps Score, uh, seems to be quite helpful for many people. It is not the only book that's helpful. You know, um, there's other books, uh, but I would say most of all. Uh, find people who have gone through your experience with whom you can share these mm. things. I think the, the peer issue is what keeps us alive, that keeps you going. You know, the reason why you survived combat is because you knew there were people around you who had your back. Right. I think this, this need to have people around you who have your back is a core foundation of going on with your life. So, really important just not oh don't go to a therapist and talk about all the shameful things maybe go to therapist is also helpful but even more important is being surrounded people with, with people who you have a mutual obligation to and that's mm-hmm. and that's what's so great about uh, cops and, and service is that they're there for you and you're there for them huh? so mm-hmm. that, that mutual reciprocal engagement is a terribly important part 
of regaining and maintaining your integrity. Well put. Excellent. Thank you, sir. I really appreciate your time yeah. and your work. And, uh, and I appreciate your guys also very much. Thank yeah. you. Alex and I hope you got something out of our conversation today. The effects of stress on first responders and military personnel are real, and there are a variety of solutions that may work for you. Unfortunately, there is no one-stop shop or modality. There's no pill that can make it all go away. At Cato, we often talk about the tactics of surviving the actual event and the strategy of surviving the criminal and civil court system, as well as the community's expectation. But to truly make it all worth it, we need to be well for our families and enjoy our retirements. That means we have to take care of ourselves and one another. Check out the link on the podcast website for a special offer from the doctor himself to personally help you or someone you know attend a four-week program with Dr. Bessel Vanderkolk. Each of the weekly sessions will start with a lecture followed by a Q&A session. This is a great opportunity to learn more, explore ideas, and critically examine trauma and a variety of trauma treatments and hear directly from the doctor himself. Each of the four sessions are an hour and a half long, with half of the time dedicated to dialogue, exploration, and question and answers with Dr. Vander Kolk himself. He's graciously offered this program at a huge discount for our tribe, so take advantage of this offer by clicking the link on our page to learn more and sign up. To purchase The Body Keeps the Score, check out the link in the show description. Also be sure to check out the Trauma Research Foundation website as well. To see what Alex has been doing with surf therapy for veterans, please follow One More Wave on the social media platform of your choice. As always, thank you for listening. This was a heavy topic, but it's important. We keep losing brothers and sisters to an unseen enemy. We do this podcast for our community, so let us know what you think by leaving a comment on the platform of your choice. Thank you for listening to the Cato Podcast. To become a member of Cato, check out our website at catonews.org. If you have a topic suggestion, please send them to podcast at catonews.org. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with a friend and rate us on the platform of your choice.